0: Good morning. It is the last Sunday of Easter 2020. And on the last Sunday of Easter, we have the last words of Jesus before his arrest. And so I'm reading from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 11. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have trusted that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name. All those that you have given me, so that they may be one, just as you and I are one. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God final words were the most important in the ancient world whenever a biography was written whenever the last uh, uh, whenever a story of a life was told it was the final words that that person spoke that were so important they summed up a life and in these words these final words addressed to God as a prayer uh, but also spoken somehow in front of the disciples and definitely for their benefit Jesus wants them to know something and what is it? well Principally, he wants them to know God, which is what he's wanted all the way through John's Gospel. The whole of the Gospel uh, is structured in that way. And and not just the disciples, but according to verse 2, all people. Since you have given him authority, which could be seen as responsibility, it could be translated as influence. Since you have given him authority, responsibility, influence over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So, what does it mean to know God well, according to the first verse of this uh, la- these last words, it is to give God glory. Jesus said, "Father, the hour has come. glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Glory is, is to recognize and express how extraordinarily wonderful someone is, not just for what they do or what they have done, but so much for, as for who they deeply essentially are. It is an idea that the person's nature is so deeply and all-pervasively good that who they are and how they act are in total congruence. They act as they are. Extraordinarily wonderful. <clears throat> the The original Hebrew root word for the word glory is, is illumination or to illuminate. So there's that sense of to really see something when it's illuminated, to see and know the truth of the extraordinary, wonderful nature and essence of God. And not just God, but all that God has made, which includes the people who live next door to me, the people I work with, the people I live with, even myself. All are extraordinarily wonderful. That's what Jesus wants his disciples and all of us to know. And to know God means eternal life according to Jesus. This is what he says in verse three and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you have sent. Jesus talks about eternal life in a couple of places in john 's Gospel and, and it uses he uses the or the translation is in the Greek is not just existence, not just uh, you're breathing, therefore you're alive, but the Greek word goes more to um, the sense of animation, vitality, vigorous energy, what we might describe as full of life. All of us are alive, but some of us are full of life or all of us are alive, and sometimes Each of us are full of life and sometimes it's horrible but they can be few and far between those experiences. But when we have them, we know ourselves to be fully alive, truly alive and we look for them all the time. We know true life, full of life when we see it and experience it, don't we? And eternal life in... John's Gospel is not just life that goes on forever but it's what John, what Jesus says in John chapter 10 it's abundant life it's abundant in all ways it goes in all directions so it is always it is true that eternal life in Jesus' understanding is this idea of life full life, full of life that goes on and on and on and not just the future but the past as well there's no time in your life where this abundant life has not been present. Now, whether or not we've embraced it and lived in it and enjoyed it, that's a second question, but it's always been there. And in, there's many ways we can look at that in our past and see even though we weren't aware of it at the time, that presence of full life and joy was always there. And it can we can, in thinking back, we can use that experience to heal some of those past experiences. And eternal life is not just about time, but it's about space. It's it's abundant in every way. There's nowhere where you can be where abundant life is not. There's no space in the world. There's no space in your mind. There's no space in all of the cosmos where you can exist, where abundant life is not there all the time in every way um, bursting out. I love to make bread and uh, this morning I, I've put on an, a, a couple of loaves of bread and I, I let them slightly overproof at night, uh, overnight, so they're, they're bursting out of the basket that I put them in. They're just full of life, all that yeast bubbling up and, and uh, all those holes. Hopefully it'll still cook pretty good, but it's hard to know at this point because it's just gone crazy. And that life, that it's filling up all of the space that's available, That's something towards what Jesus means when he says that's what eternal life. And eternal life is knowing God. So how do you know God? Well, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, who you you have sent. That's verse 3. And of course the disciples, who he is directly talking to, they knew God because they knew Jesus. They'd known him for three years. Jesus says in verse 7 and 8, Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. We know that Jesus was a teacher, uh, not unlike so many teachers of his day. And he had disciples. They went with him and he instructed them. He gave them words. He gave them teaching over and over again. I have given to them. They have received them. Jesus says and they know truth sorry they know in truth that I came from you and they have trusted that you sent me so he's saying now even in their uncertainty and even in their experiences of doubt and being unsure all the time which we pick up from the disciples Jesus is saying in these last words they have they've got it they are part of it they're deeply involved now they understand deeply that all these things are connected they've they've understood that I am in you and you are in me and they are in us and we are in them that whole cycle that we pick up all the time in these last um, verses in John well that's okay for the disciples because he is right there with them talking to them they have been with him for three years but what about us well We've got the Scriptures, we've got the Gospel of John, and this is why it was put together for people like us who were wanting to experience all of these things but weren't present uh, physically with Jesus in the years of his teaching. So it was written in that way so that everyone could begin to uh, uh, experience it. But it's not just the Bible, the words of it. It's not just we somehow have to intellectually believe it, but it's about being drawn up within it, we need to experience the oneness of all things, as Jesus says, "All mine are yours, and yours are mine." There's a a, a combining, an intertwining, and a point where it be, begins to be difficult to understand what's yours and what's not. It's a little bit like two people who live together for a long period of time uh, and they're, uh, they might be husband and wife and they're in love with each other and that love mingles into their stuff so that towards the end of their life together they can't remember, did you bring this into the relationship or did we buy this so at some point, did it get given to you or did it get given to me or did it get given to both of us? anyway, does it really matter? I mean, everything we have is ours. It's all mingled together. That's a pretty small version of this, but it's a sense of it. And isn't this our great longing, not to be isolated, but to be deeply connected, to have that sense that we belong, we fit in the world? It's one of the things I think we we are very... um, uh, we we love in in animals, and one of the reasons why pets are so important to us is because. They appear to be perfectly content with the way things are, as long as you feed them at the right time and give them a bit of love and attention. They, they're just there. When a dog has nothing to do, uh, it lies down and sleeps. When we have nothing to do, we get anxious, we get bored, and we long to be so deeply connected in the world that we don't feel anxiety about who we are or where we fit. That's the kind of longing, that, that sense of, of the oneness that Jesus is calling us into, I think. And then Jesus finishes by saying he's no longer in the world. And this is what he says. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them in your name. I'm no longer in the world. I think um, there's one way of, of looking at the word. The word "world" is a problematic word all the word all the way through the Gospel of John. It's used in maybe six, seven, or some people have said up to twelve or fifteen different ways. It's used a lot, a lot more than in the other Gospels, uh, and there's lots of different ways that it could be it it, it can mean. And one of them that uh, scholars are thinking that in this area in this text and in a few others Jesus doesn't mean that he's no longer present because clearly he is they can see him so this is not the experience that the disciples have after the resurrection when Jesus is both him and not him both easily recognizable and not recognizable he's both physical in the normal way of, of, of the world but also seems to be able to appear be behind locked doors and uh, is somewhat different that's not what's happening here he's present with them so scholars are thinking maybe that that what this word means is no longer in the scheme of the world no longer in the assumptions that the world makes about the way the world is supposed to be the world of anxiety, of performance, of cataloguing. The world of falseness. The world um, in Jesus' time where there's a hierarchy of who is important. From the emperor down to the poorest slave. And everyone knows where they fit. Jesus is saying, I'm no longer part of that. I'm free from all of that. Now these, the disciples, you and I, we still in it. But... Protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Not to be then in that world, but to somehow see the truer, deeper world in which we exist. That whatever part of the culture you live in, whether you're seen as extraordinary because you're rich, whether you're seen as a waste of space because you're poor, whether um, you're unemployed and therefore it's your fault, whether um, you're a man, a a white man with money, therefore you're higher than a, a, a black woman with no money, all the ways that we have built the world. To not be in that world, but to see the truth of the world of God, that all things are one, that God and Jesus are one, that Jesus and God are together with us one. It's, it's this complicated cycle of story that Jesus tells over and over again in these verses that he wants us to be one with God. He wants us to know God and in the, in, in the essence of that it is to experience that absolute oneness with God and with all that God has made. To wake up in the morning and to know ourselves truly a part of God's world, of each other and the world that God has made. Um, there's, just let me finish with a wonderful quote that I've used so many times and, and me and so many other people have. It's from Irenaeus, who was a second century Christian uh, teacher and, and like us, trying to understand uh, the, the text that he had and the experience he was having of God. Um, not, not dissimilar to us, a little closer to Jesus, but still not present with any of the people who had known Jesus uh, personally in the second century and he says the glory of God the glory of God is a human being fully alive